Well, Lisa, let me get this going. Lisa is very special to me because she is from my hometown, Milton, and grew up in the same church that I grew up in, and she was a shining light in high school. I was a black hole, but she was a shining light. I just have one more announcement before we get into the word. Um, This Tuesday night, 6.30 to 8 downstairs is our church prayer meeting. And I've been doing a series on spiritual gifts once a month. This this Sunday is, is on the power gifts. It's on the gift of faith, the gift of healing, and the gift of miracles. And we are going to anoint and God's going to release people that want to be used in healing and then those people are going to pray for the sick on a Tuesday night. And so if you are either one, you want to be used in healing or uh, you are sick and you need a touch from God, I believe wonderful things are going to happen Tuesday night. So I want to just make that little advertisement. I want to thank the church, everybody, for praying for Greg and I as we were in the Dominican Republic. Um, we, we can't go. We didn't go. We were sent by this church. This church raised the money for us to go, raised the money for this conference to be put on. There were over 1,000 leaders there in uh, Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, And God came in such an amazing way in that conference. Jim and Renee, our missionaries there, were absolutely beside themselves as to what God had done and what God was going to continue to do as these pastors went back and changed their churches and spoke the word that God had spoken to them. It was... It was just so beautiful. Honestly, I I just felt like Jesus was doing something. And and Greg and I happened to be along. And we got to see it in front of our eyes. It was so powerful and beautiful. And... But it, it, we can't do that without you sending us, without you supporting us and praying for us. And I just want to say thank you because it was absolutely amazing. All right, let's uh, stand together in honor of God's word. We've got Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, Just as I spoke to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you 
all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land, which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do all according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Would you please pray with me? Lord, your heart is absolutely burning this morning for every single person that's here. Would you please, Father, hide me behind the cross? Please, Jesus, go face to face with each one here each one that you have a plan for. Please, God, speak and help us to respond. We ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we have been talking about the story and we have been talking about the, 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 the big story. The upper story has been the same all along. God always planned to redeem. The whole Old Testament redemption story was a picture of what God was going to do for us in Christ. That God's heart all along has been to take people out of slavery to a place that he has prepared for them a spacious place that flows with milk and honey. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. There is a place that God has made for you and it is a spacious place. There is room for you. There is a place for you where you are not a slave. You're not a slave to culture. You're not trying to be like other people. You're not always feeling like you are a slave to something else. There is a place for you where you get to be yourself, who God made you to be. And in that place, that is the place where you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the life of God overflowing, flowing with milk, which is what you need, and honey, which is all of the extras. God is able to do far above all we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. They came into the promised land. Today, we are coming into the promised life, which that land foreshadowed, as we will see today. Entering the promised land, point one, the seriousness of sin. So a few weeks ago, we saw a movie called Patterns of Evidence, which was about Exodus. 
It's a very powerful movie because of the archaeology around the Exodus and coming into the promised land. But it, it's also very, very sobering. After the movie, because here's why it's very sobering. This actually happened. They really went into this land. They, we, we've got in the soil in Middle Egypt, in that time period, the walls of Jericho came down. Jericho was set on fire in a very, very short siege. They found grain in all of the houses. The, all of the walls of Jericho came down except one little place. There was one house left. This is in the archaeology. If you know the story of Rahab, there was one part of the the wall that did not come down and it, it's it's very sobering they 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 found in the city of Ai which uh they were they were commanded to burn they the the king there in the, according to the bible is a guy named Jabin and they found in the parchments of Ai the burned or, or Hazor I'm sorry in the in the burned parchments of Hazor they found parchment that said that Jabin was the king I mean, this happened. This happened in our history. It was, it was very sobering when you know what this story is and what the Israelites did. And, and so we have a precious woman in our congregation. She came up to me right after the movie, right over, right over here. And she was just like, Pastor Tom, I, I don't understand. I don't understand how God could order the destruction of this land and destruction of peoples. It seems so contradictory to who God is, who, who I know God to be. How, how could this happen? How could God order this? And, and, and this, is, this is really very fair. This is a fair question. Why why did this happen? And what is it about God that commanded this to happen? And, and what has changed today? Let's talk about the seriousness for a moment of sin. The Bible says in Genesis 15, 16, the reason why the Israelites were, were slaves for so long is that the sin of the Amorites had not yet become full. There was a plan in the Old Testament for sin. And that plan was very, very limited. It was to restrain sin. Redemption was promised, but redemption was not yet accomplished in the Old Testament. So God's plan was to restrain sin. This is how serious sin is. Sin multiplies. Sin, if it is not restrained, if it is not judged, will multiply like leaven through bread. It affects everything. So God's plan in the old covenant until redemption was realized was to restrain sin. So what happened? In the days of Noah, sin had multiplied. It had spread through the whole human race that everybody, their thoughts were continually evil and away from God. And God restrained sin by by that judgment and he left Noah. He restrained sin in two ways in the days of Noah. One, by wiping out sinners, but secondly, by changing the atmosphere. And this is actually can be very proven in geological 
uh, records, he changed the atmosphere. People lived a lot less long. It, it, the, the, the advantage of living shorter lives is that you can sin less because you've got a limited life. He restrained sin because once again, sin started multiplying. Sodom and Gomorrah were on the the spearhead of this thing. God said, I've got to restrain it. I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says to God, "It, it can't be that bad. Really, this seems over the top. And he he says to God, God, if you can find 10 righteous people, will you save the whole city? God said, yes, I will. Sin has so affected this that I have to take just the few righteous that are left, I've got to pull them out, and I've got to restrain sin through judging it in Sodom. You can see God's restraint of sin in the laws that he gave Israel. Have you noticed that in all of the laws of Israel, if there was willful rebellion, it was death. What's he doing? He's removing leaven. He's removing it. It is the plan of the Old Testament is to restrain sin. Well, so why did he wipe out the Canaanites? Why did he wipe out this land? Was it really that bad? Was sin really that bad? Let me give you just a glimpse of the sin that was happening there. This is in Leviticus 18.2. He says, you must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you, do not follow their practices. And then they list them in Leviticus 18. There are sexual sins listed in Leviticus 18 that they are currently doing in the land of the Canaanites that are are just so shameful. One is sex with animals. One is sex with all kinds of close relatives, including children. One sin is they're offering their children as sacrifices to Moloch. It's not only idolatry, but it's they're, they're wiping out their own children. He says in verse 28, And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. <laughs> Just as they're going into the land in, in Joshua 5, before the first battle, the captain of the host appears to Joshua. We're not sure if this is Jesus or an angel, but something came, someone came from heaven. And Joshua stands before him and says, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And he says, Neither. But the land you're standing on is holy. Take off your sandals. You're you're not going to be able to walk with God if you don't understand this one thing. He is holy. He is holy beyond you and what you and I can grasp. And the idea that he loved the Israelites and hated the Canaanites is absolutely not true. God loves everybody. God says, listen, I am holy. If you do the same things that they're doing right now, you'll get vomited out too. I am not part, I'm not choosing you over them. Before he goes into land, he says, don't think I'm taking you in because you're more righteous than anybody else because that's just not the case. God is a holy God and sin is serious. So what's different today? In Luke chapter nine, uh, they, the, 
John and James go into Samaria to try to make preparations, and the Samaritans reject them and say, no, you're not coming through here because there was a war going between the Jews and the Samaritans. And they come back to Jesus and say, should we call down fire from heaven that will consume them? And here's what Jesus says. You do not know what kind of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Jesus did not come into the world to judge the world. He came in to save the world. World is already under judgment. World was already under sin. What is different? Nothing as far as sin. Sin is still very serious. God is still very holy. Jesus came into the world to bear sin. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said this, Father, with you everything is possible. If it is possible, remove this cup that I'm about to drink. Jesus was about to drink a cup that had the sins of the world in it. In, in, in Psalm 75, it's called the cup of the wrath of God. He was about to drink God's judgment on sin. And he said, if it is possible, if there is some other way for sin to be forgiven, if there's some other way for people to be made right with a holy God, please take it. But not my will, your will be done. And guys, God is so holy and sin is so serious that Jesus had to die on a cross in your place and in my place. God could not even overlook sin in his own son because he became sin in order to make us the righteousness of God. Sin is very serious. What has changed? Everything has changed. Because God changed covenants. In the old covenant, we got justice. We got what we deserve. It was based on law. The wages of sin was death. In the new covenant, it's based not on law, not on justice. It's based on gift. Person gives a gift Not to reward someone, but because they love them. Our sin never stopped God from loving us. God never stopped loving us. This was the plan all along. That Jesus would take justice. He would take what was due us for our sins. So that God could give us this gift out of his love. That he would be free to do whatever he wants to do. And so God, in his mercy washes us of all of our sins in Christ. And then in his grace, he adopts us as sons and daughters and gives us an inheritance of everything. He who gave his only son, how will he not with him freely give us all other things? Everything has changed in the new covenant. God now relates to mankind through the sacrifice of Jesus. We come to Jesus and everything changes. Pastor Tom, forgive me. I, I just, I, I'm still struggling. Did God change? 
Or maybe more likely that the father has always been mean and Jesus is really like the nice part of God, kind of good and bad cop. And we got the father and we've got Jesus and Jesus kind of protects us from the father and and that whole type of thing. And especially if you've had a difficult childhood and your father did not know God or was operating out of a wound, it can seem like a father is just a bad a bad thing. It conjures up a bad image. God's heart has not changed. Even back then, foreigners were welcome to join Israel. Rahab was a prostitute, and her and her whole household joined Israel. One of the first issues they had to deal with involved an Israelite mom with an Egyptian dad. People left Egypt and joined Israel and God had all kinds of laws that said every alien, every foreigner, whoever leaves their group and joins us, they're part of us. You treat them as part of us. There was redemption even then. (laughs) Jesus said the works that I do are not my works, they're the Father's works. He said, the words I speak, the grace that I'm speaking, the redemption I'm speaking, those aren't even my words. Those are the Father's words. The Father and the Son are one. Calvary cost the Father just like it cost the Son. The heart of God, heart of God has always been redemption. He's always done what was best for the human race. Point two, how to enter the promised land. The Lord says this. Moses, he speaks this to Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Thanks for the information. Really? We've been thinking that he's alive. No. What is God speaking? God knows the human heart. Moses was Joshua's hero. Moses was the man of God. Moses was the one who met with God. Moses was the great days of Israel were under Moses. He is honoring Moses. He is mourning over Moses. He is despairing that Moses and the good old days are gone because Moses, we can't do it now because Moses is gone. And Moses was the guy that met face to face. And Moses, 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 Moses. Here's what he's saying. This is my version. Moses is dead, but I'm still alive. Not only is Moses dead and I'm alive, but I've got plans and I'm very excited about where this thing is going. But I have to have you leave the mindset of sorrow and mourning for what has been. 
for the mistakes that were made, for the successes of the past, for all that the past represents. There is a sentiment about the past. Everybody has this with their spiritual experience. Everybody has a time when they got saved and they were alive in God and they were excited about God and those are the good old days. And those songs that we sang back then, that's worship. That was when we used to worship. I don't know what we're doing today. <laughs> have you ever been in a place where you don't have Wi-Fi? You, you, need, you need Wi-Fi, but there isn't any Wi-Fi. And it's, it's really disturbing. And, you know, and then you get to this place where kind of has Wi-Fi and there's a little and you try to, and it's really, and all you have when there's no present Wi-Fi is stuff you downloaded from the past. And you can look at past emails and past things, but nothing present. See, we need to make a connection today. We need to, to make a, thank God we had a connection yesterday. Thank God there were downloads in the past. But God is the I am. He is here right now. He is not thinking about the past, whether it was bad or good. He's not thinking about your past failures or your past successes. He's saying, the successes leave with me. The, the failures have been washed by the blood of Jesus. Let's go forward. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, chapter 3, I think it is. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Did you know that Jesus has taken hold of you for a reason? He's taken hold of you for a reason, and he wants us to take hold of the reason that he took a hold of us. Grace came first. Now he wants us to respond to grace by taking hold of the reason why we exist. And then he says this, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing, one thing I do, one thing I force myself to do in my thinking Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. How do you enter the promised land? Number one, stop living in the past. That's over. Let's go to point two. Point two is the need for confidence. Does this seem strange to anybody but me that in nine verses, really in three verses, six, seven, and nine, he says the exact same thing. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Only be strong and courageous. And then he gives tons of reasons. Have I not commanded you? Have I not promised you? Am I not with you? Da-da-da-da-da. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I'm going to be with you. Da-da-da. Me, me, me. I'm going to be in the middle of this thing. Just be strong. Just be courageous. Why? Why would God say the same thing in three different times? It seems so Redundant. 
Why would he do this? This is, this is just, it's just really sobering why God did this. Here's why. It really matters for your life. It really matters. This is not a game. It really, really matters. And by saying it three times, here's what God's saying. There are principles that I will not violate. I, I, you have to believe. And if you don't believe, I'm not going to be able to be with you the way you want me to be with you. You'll never go into the promised land if you don't believe. But I am not an impartial bystander. I am cheering for you. I want you to come into the place I've made for you. I want you to experience my goodness in its fullness. I don't want you to be a slave anymore. I want this for you, but you are going to have to do your part. I am sorry that you have a part, but you have a part. A believer's job is to believe. And, and see, here, here's, oh my, this was an amazing experience. This is about three weeks ago. It's a Wednesday. I'm working on this message. And I am just like, oh my. There are two narratives. There are two different stories. You see it most clearly in Numbers 13, 30 through 33. Moses has sent out 12 spies. 10 of them come back, and here is their narrative of what is going on. Here's what they say. We've been in the land. It does flow with milk and honey. However, there are giants in this land called the Nephilim. We are grasshoppers in their sight. There are walled cities that there is no way we can get through. At the end of the day, guys, God has deceived us. He's brought us out here for no good reason. And our best bet is to retreat in fear because this is the real world. We need to retreat in fear. We need to go back to Egypt. That is one narrative that is being spoken very loudly. Has anybody known, noticed that giants speak Intimidating things speak. They have a voice. Walled cities, lies, speak. They have a voice. And there's another narrative. It's Joshua and Caleb. Here's what Joshua and Caleb said. The land is amazing. It flows with milk and honey, just like God said. Now, these are my words. And the giants are like grasshoppers in God's sight. You want to talk about grasshoppers? I'll talk about grasshoppers. They are nothing compared to God. And if we will go forward, God will deliver us. God will give us this land. And so I'm I'm, I'm working on the message, and I'm just like, oh my. Here's why it's so important. Whichever narrative you believe is going to be real for you. You, you have whichever one you believe. If you retreat in fear, that will be real for you. That is not fake. That is not like, well, God's going to do whatever God wants to do anyway. No, he won't. 
Pastor Tom, are you saying that God hasn't predestined victory? God has predestined victory. God, God's going to have his people in the promised land. But that doesn't mean it has to be this group. First group didn't get in. And it is not a done deal that Joshua was going to take them in. It's, Joshua was going to actually have to agree with God. Otherwise, it'll be another generation. You say, prove that from Scripture. I will. Esther chapter 4. Mordecai says to Esther, for such a time, God has raised you up. Esther, lay hold of the reason why God has raised you up. He has raised you up for this hour. This is why you're the queen. This is why you have favor. Do it. He says, if you do, you and your house are going to be blessed. And if you don't, notice what, he, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, and if you don't, all of God's plan is off and the Israelites will be destroyed. That's not what he says. He says, if you don't, then God will raise up deliverance somewhere else. God is predestined that Israel's going to make it. God's predestined that Israel's going to carry the Messiah. But Esther, you will delay the... God spent a lot of time and energy raising you up. And if you choose not to, there's going to be a delay in the plan of God. Guys, God wants... God's raising up a beautiful church that walks in his victory. A church that prevails over the kingdom of darkness. He's going to have that beautiful church. It says it in Ephesians chapter 5, that God's going to have a, a church without spot or wrinkle, a church that's walking with him in unity, a church that is, that is filled with the, the knowledge of God, the intimacy of God, and the unity that he has given the offices to make us one till the church grows up to the full man. He's going to have that church because he's God. But that doesn't mean you and I are going to be part of it of that church. We're we're saved. Praise God, we're saved. We're part of a church. But the church Jesus is raising up in glory that goes in and takes the fullness. The jury's still out. And God in this hour is asking us to only believe, only be strong and courageous. So this man, uh, I call this man because somebody t- asked me to call him professional business. He's given me permission to share this story. And he's a Christian, but just at the point of absolute despair and fear. He's got a high-powered job, and fear just had gripped him. And he just, he, he went into depression and couldn't go to work. And, and it's just, and, and I called him. And we're talking, and he doesn't know anything about what I'm working on. And he says this to me. He says, Pastor Tom, I'm at the Jordan River. Guys, this is where Joshua is. Between him and the promised land is the Jordan River. He is at the Jordan River. The Jordan River is the place where you decide which narrative is true. You decide which is going to be real in your life. Are you going to retreat in fear or are you going to go forward in faith? So I got to preach this sermon to him before you ever heard it. (laughs) 
So here's what Joshua does. I find this hilarious. So the first time they send out 12 spies and only two have a positive report. So do you know what Joshua does the second time? He only sends out two spies. He sends out two, and I can't imagine the conversation that he had before they go out. But when they come back, all they can speak is faith. They come back and they're like, oh yeah, this is easy. This is going to be amazing. Let's do this. I think that they were instructed to have that report. (laughs) (laughs) And then the need, the need for carefulness. God says, I'm for you, I'm with you, I've given you this place, I've made a place, a spacious land flows with milk and honey, but there is a way that you won't come into it, even if you go forward in faith, and that is if you're not careful. You, you need to read the word of God. You need to read Moses. You need to not let these words depart from your mouth without meditating on them and making sure you're doing them. Don't be all talk and no obedience. You need to do what I have told you to do. Then you will have success. Then you will make your way prosperous. So I'm 44 years old and not now, (laughs) but at one time in the distant past, I was 44 years old and I developed a back problem. And, uh, and so I, I, I went to the chiropractor. I hated, I hated, well, men hate going to the doctor anyway. I just hated having to go to the chiropractor. And he went and he's, he, he does the adjustment. And then he, he says, one thing you want to do, you want to you get that wallet out of your pocket. You want to have a money clip instead. And the other thing is here's a bunch of exercises you can do to strengthen your back. And I come out of there. I'm thankful for the adjustment. I'm a very, very independent person. I'm like, no chiropractor's going to tell me what to do. (laughs) So I live exactly the same way I've always lived. Don't do the exercises. Don't get the wallet out and buy a money clip. A couple weeks go past, three weeks, four weeks, the back starts hurting again, and I'm like, I'm going to need another adjustment. So set it up again. I'm going to go get an adjustment. I am, I am on my way. <laughs> this, is, this is so sad. I'm on my way to the chiropractor. And I realize I cannot go back to this guy in good conscience. I, he told me what to do, and I didn't do it. So I, instead of going right to the appointment, I go to Walmart and find a money clip. Yeah. <laughs> I, buy this, I buy this money clip. I still have it. It was like, it was like five bucks. I mean, this, it's not a great money clip. But anyway, um, and uh, put the wallet in my coat pocket because he is not going to know that I have not listened to him the whole time. You didn't think your pastor was capable of this type of hypocrisy, did you? Oh, he's capable. He adjusts me, and I purpose I will start doing these exercises. I do them to this day. I do them every morning. I call them the regimen. Did them this morning. My back's fine. I, don't, I, don't go, I haven't gone to the chiropractor now in, I don't know, maybe 10 years. 
We have to do the word of God. It's not enough to hear it. It's not enough to go into counseling. I'm going to go into counseling. Guys, counseling doesn't have to last for 20 weeks. But you do have to start doing the things the counselor tells you to do. Otherwise, you're just talking. Be careful to do. There's something in the human psyche that is able to talk about stuff without doing it. We need to be careful that we're obeying the things we know from Scripture. If you're not forgiving people, for instance, you're wasting your time. The idea that you're going to have this Wi-Fi connection with God when you're not forgiving people, not going to happen, folks. You got to make things right. That's just how it works. I don't want to make it right. Well, then you're going to not have Wi-Fi. Seriously, God could not be more clear. This is not rocket science. God has given us some things we need to do, and you actually have to do them. It's real. All right, I'm, I'm done. All right, foreshadows, point three, foreshadows of the promised life. John chapter one, verse 17. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. I'm going to just read Galatians 3.24 right now, and then I'm going to talk a lot about this. Galatians 3.24. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Okay, now we're leaving the lower story. We've already said this really happened in real time. This happened. But now I want to I pull back and I want to see God's bigger story. The, God's story from the beginning before creation was redemption. Redemption through Christ. This is the consummate redemption story of the Old Testament. Out of slavery into the promised land. Moses represents the law. He represents the performance identity. He represents you and I trying to be good enough on our own. The performance identity will never take you into the promised life. It doesn't matter how hard you try. It doesn't matter how many rules you keep, how religious you are, how much you give, and you're working, you're working, you're working. You performing will never bring you into the promised life that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Because Moses represents the law. What it will do is bring you to the edge of the promised life. It will bring you right there. It will show you as you try to perform, as you try to be committed, as you try to be good enough, it will show you that you're not good enough. It tutors you to Christ. The law tutors you. It shows you you are a sinner. The law is up here and you're down here. It it, it convicts you of sin. It shows you your need for a savior. Moses can never bring you into the promised land. He brings you to the edge of it. Only Joshua can take you in. Do you know what Joshua means? It's the Hebrew name for Savior. It's Jesus' name. 
Jesus is is the Greek name. Joshua is the Hebrew name. It's the same name. Only Jesus can bring you in. Here's, Here's the amazing thing. Jesus will bring you in. When we rest in faith, when we rest in, uh, he's made us sons and daughters. When we trust him, he is the author and finisher of our faith. He who began a good work will bring us in. What happens is, is he starts to bring us in and it's in us to go back to that performance identity. Paul says, you foolish Galatians, you started by faith and now you're going back as if it's by law. Who, the one who does miracles among you, let me ask you this question. Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He says, I got a question for you Galatians. Where is your joy? Because you're always going to lose your joy when you go back to the performance identity. Because in the performance identity, you're never good enough. You're always failing. You're always failing. You're always failing. And all, all the performance identity will say to you is, try harder. You're not trying hard enough. No. Guys, this is not about you trying harder. Jesus has already tried hard enough for all of us. He already died in our place. This is by grace through faith. There is a river. The reason why you have a paddle is not to get you going. That river is flowing. The reason why you have a paddle is to stay off the rocks. You just, God, let the life of God rise up in you. Let the new birth rise up in you. Let the Holy Spirit have his way in you. Jesus has a promised land for every single one of us here. I want to talk about that place. It is a spacious place. See, in Egypt, in sin, when you're a slave to sin and a slave to the world, slaves don't own anything. They are run by somebody else. They don't have any time of their own. They don't have any identity of their own. They're owned by somebody else. When sin and the world owns you, you have no idea who you even are because you're constantly performing, trying to be something that the world will accept, trying to be good enough, trying to be pretty enough, trying to be, have enough stuff, and you're, you're, you're a slave. The world will make you a slave. Sin makes us slaves. God has a spacious place where you're no longer a slave. Here's the revelation. It turns out that God likes you. Seriously, he doesn't want you to be a copy of somebody else that you think God really likes. If I was just like them, God would like me. No, that's not true. God's already got that person. He's made us all different. He has set, 1 Corinthians 12, 18, each one in the body just as he willed. The reason why we're all parts of the same body and why we're different is so that we don't compete and compare and try to, there's no space for me. I'm a, see, insecurity says there's no space for you. If, if people knew who you really were, they would not make a spot for you. Lie. That's a lie. We're longing for the real you to be present. And you not living in the fear of the eye that says, I'm better than everybody. Or the foot that says, I'm not even part of this body. I'm just not good enough. I just, you know, the eye's really good. And No, stop it. Both are false. You're not better and you're not worse. You're part. 
because God has made a place for you. And it's a wide, spacious place. You don't have to walk on eggshells. Uh, Oh, but I should tell you this. There's also a wide place for your spouse. There's also a wide place for your boss. There's also a wide place for your kids. And so if you decide you're going to make everybody else walk on eggshells, you're going to have that back on you. If you judge, you're going to be judged. But that's not the plan of God. The plan of God is to give you a wide place. The love of God overlooks so many things that aren't quite done yet in us. So we can rest in Christ. Stop striving and allow this flow to come. Jesus said that you would have life and have it abundantly. That word abundantly means overflowing. That in this river of God is milk, which is what people need, and honey, which is the goodness of God in ways way beyond what we could ask or think. Here's the problem. God is way better than you think he is. If you being evil can give good gifts to your children, and that's your measure of how good somebody is, is your own goodness. He's like, how much more will the Father, who is perfect, who is filled with light, give good gifts to his children? Give the Holy Spirit in Luke to his children. He is so good. He's way better than you think he is. He takes your prayers. He gets gets your prayers in heaven, and then he says, okay, this is what they actually prayed. Okay, but I have purposely not limited myself to their prayers. I can do above and beyond all they ask or think. Even though they can't see it, I can do more than that. That's who he is. The promised life is being contested. Unfortunately, John 10.10 starts with this. The thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. Unfortunately, When God speaks to Moses, he doesn't just say, I'm bringing you into this spacious place with flows of my He also says, and it's currently occupied by enemies. The Canaanites and the Amorites, and there's going to be a whole bunch of enemies that you're going to have to defeat to get into your place. So it is today. It's not a done deal that you're going to find your place. God wants you to. God's encouraging you to. But you're going to have to fight. What are you going to have to fight? Two things. One is giants. The giants represent fear. The voice of fear is very loud. The voice of intimidation, the voice of fear of failure, fear of uh, the dark, fear of the future, fear of people, fear of what everybody's going to think. Fear, 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 fear. That voice can be very, very loud. And that voice says, don't go forward. Don't trust God. Jesus said, how can you believe if you're receiving glory from one, if you're afraid of each other? The walls in the city represent lies. The the walls in the city are not the enemy. They protect the enemy's influence. There are walls that are protecting the enemy. The enemy can just have a field day because they'll sit on top of that wall and shoot at us and we can't get at them as long as these walls are up. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 10. He says, our weapons are not physical, they're spiritual. The tearing down of strongholds, that's walls. And then he defines the walls. Every thought 
that is setting itself up against the knowledge of God. The enemy's stronghold is lies. The enemy has been stripped through the cross of his authority. He cannot exercise power in your life unless he can get you to believe a lie. And if he can get you to believe a lie about yourself, about God, about this world, he will set that up and it will protect the influence of darkness on you. And you could go to church, you could read your Bible, but as long as that stronghold, the devil's like, we got him. We got him. And when I say got him, I don't mean that you're not saved, because you're definitely saved. If you're in Jesus, you are saved. When, when I say got him, it means he can't come into the fullness. She can't come into the fullness of what God has for him because of these lies. And the, here's the problem, isn't it? You've got to go one city at a time. <laughs> you don't get rid of all the lies. All God works on what you go to Jericho first, and then you go to I, and then you go here, there. And God brings these things down, and Jesus says these words, John 8, 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So God's taking us on a journey as we follow his presence. He's taking us in, and he's teaching us how to win over fear. He's teaching us how to tear down lies. He's not doing it apart from us. He'll point out the lie. He'll give you grace when you say, I'm going to confront that, but he won't do it for you. I've got to end with this because we're right at the end. So I called my brother who is at the Jordan this week. I asked him how he was doing. He's doing much better, and he said this. He said, I had a dream just a few nights ago. I want to tell you about it. I'm like, tell me. He is in the basement. It's very dark, and there's dark rooms. And he's in this room where his mom is praying. And his mom is very important in his life. And a faceless man appears to him and says, I want you to come with me. He says, what about my mom? He says, where you got to go? You need to go alone. And this faceless man takes him. There's rooms. There's rooms all around. And he can hear noises in the rooms. So the faceless man takes him into this one room. And there is this little demon that is screeching in that room. And he feels the, the, uh, uh, a numbness come over him, a fear. And the faceless man takes him out of the room. And here's what he says to him. He says, I wanted you to see how small that demon is. And I wanted you to know that the only power that he has in your life is the power you give him. And he wakes up. When he woke up, he was numb from the top of his head to the bottom with fear. I said, bro, God wants you to know this is not psychological imagination in your head. There are real demons that are creating real fear. This is very real. The war you're in is very real. You cannot live by your feelings, guys. Or your... If you make your reality what you're feeling, you're going to get sucked in. You're going to get taken in, and you're going to be defeated day after day after day. Even though God loves you, even though Jesus died for you, even though this is very real, it is very, very small. You need to take authority. Thank God for praying moms. But praying moms cannot take your authority for you. You have to say no In Jesus' name, you have to believe. Let it be to you according to your 
faith. You and I have got to participate with God. We've got to agree with his narrative. And right now when he looks at you, there is joy on his face because he knows how good he is and he knows how good his plan is for your life and he knows where you're going and he's saying, only be courageous. Only agree with me. Only agree with me. Only agree with me. Let's do this. You and I can do this. Could we stand together? Maybe you're here today and you've been trying to be good enough to make it to heaven. You've been trying to strive to please God and you just haven't understood why it seems like you can never be good enough. Just like Lisa's testimony you're trying to be good and you're trying to be righteous and certainly this is what God wants and God does want that, but the end of that has to be, oh, the plan was not me being good enough. The plan was Jesus coming and dying for me. Salvation is not something I earn, it's something I receive. So if we could have every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. If you're here today and you know that this is you and you are a sinner and you don't know that Jesus lives in you. You don't know that you have received eternal life. The Bible says he stands at the door and knocks until we open. And maybe you know he's knocking today and you want to say yes to him. I always like to help people say yes because somebody helped me. If that is you, would you just raise your hand real high right now long enough for me to see it all over this place? I see that hand. Thank you. All over this place. I'm looking up in the balcony now. Anybody else by upraised hand? I got that hand. God bless you. Just put your hand on your heart and pray something like this. Lord, thank you for loving me. Lord, thank you for convincing me I cannot be good enough to save myself. Jesus, of course, only you can save me. Lord, I open my door wide. Come in. I receive your gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name. Second call is if you've been dealing with fear or lies and maybe you are right at the Jordan River just like this man and there are two narratives being spoken over your life and you want to agree with the right narrative, would you just open your arms like this in the received position? Close your eyes. Let me just... Let me just pray. Father, you see all over this building. You know every fear that's been spoken. You know every demon that has roared in our ears about we're not really that loved. We're not really, God's not really that good. God really doesn't care about my personal success. He's just concerned about his own glory. Lie, lie. He wants you to make it. He wants me to make it. So, Father, take our eyes now off the giants. Give us ISAF to see how great you are and how small the giants are compared to you. 
Lord, these lies that, that are like walls with huge, huge walls, lies that we've been believing for all our lives and our parents have believed them and our grandparents and, and you could never get past this because of this addiction or this fear or this anger or this, Lord, we just, we just choose to see you and that you are going to bring us to every lie and you're going to tear it down. Not apart from us, but with us. We're going to agree with truth. And as we agree with truth, you're going to break these walls out and we're going to just cast that demon out that's hiding behind that wall. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. A wide place called freedom. Stand firm now in that freedom. And do not become enslaved again. Do not go back to Egypt. Do not go back to slavery. Do not go back to a life of oppression in the world. And Lord, I just think of Matt's word at the beginning. Interesting. The, the verse that God gave Matt, Joshua 3, 5, where he says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow I'm going to do something great in your midst. It was at the Jordan River that God spoke that. And the next day is when the ark went into the Jordan River. They went in. There was an insurmountable problem. The river was so high you couldn't cross it. But as the priests put their feet in at the command of God and the carrying the ark of God, the river split in Jesus' name. Tomorrow, God's saying, tomorrow, from this time forward, go into the impassable river. Follow my presence. Follow my leading. I'm going to do amazing things in your life. I'm going to take you places you never thought you could go. And you are going to shine. Put that bright yellow on. Get that yellow, find my glory and put it on. I love you. I like you. I don't need you to be somebody else. I don't need you to just fit in because nobody wants to see you. I have created you in my image to be filled with my spirit. Now pull out that glory and start wearing it. Father, help us do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Woo! We're going to have teams up here to pray for people. We're also going to have worship. If you want to hang out and just agree with God about your destiny more, do it. God bless you. Hey, bro.